How do you establish a successful music business online and off? How do you create a popular YouTube channel and market your music or your enterprise successfully? That's what we're going to be looking at in this episode of the New Music Industry Podcast. You're listening to the So returning to the show today is one of our favorite guests, Matt Ramsey of Ramsey Voice Studio. How are you today, Matt? Hello. What's up, man? What's up? What's up? You sound plenty enthusiastic. Last time we had you was episode 198. And I think this is going to be episode, don't quote me on this, I could be mistaken, but I think it's going to be 256. All right. So anytime we publish one of your guest posts or feature you on our podcast, you always seem to breeze to the top of our most traffic posts so we should probably just change this show from the new music industry podcast to the matt ramsey show oh yeah wow thanks <laughs> <laughs> so obviously you're a great singer and vocal coach and what people might not know about you is you're also a great marketer and where there's oh, a thanks, great man. yeah man and where there's a great business generally you'll find great marketing in addition to a blog with detailed content covering a variety of topics related to singing and performance, you also have a popular YouTube channel. And today we're going to be focusing on the business aspect of things. My question here is, it seems like you probably had a clear sense of what you were going to do before you even got started. So I'd love to hear about what your initial plan looked like. I did not. You I did not have a clear plan. No, not at all. Well, Okay, so the first thing to say is I I went to school for advertising, right? So I'm in advertising school, and you know my my parents are very very supportive of me and trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. Now I've been playing music my whole life, but at the point when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do um, for school and all of that, I wanted to find something that was both creative but also helped me make money and you know was a good business and a steady career. And so I picked advertising, and mm. I don't know how you go through four years of advertising school without learning anything about advertising. Uh, but I managed to do it somehow. I'm sorry, that's that's unkind to some of my teachers. because <laughs> I, I did have some really good teachers. But the, the point that I'm trying to make here is that as soon as I actually um, found my first internship, I, I find this internship in, in San Francisco after I graduate. It's a great opportunity, great position, all of that stuff. Um, at a real advertising agency, once I actually saw what it was going to be like, to be working in that field day in, day out, 8, 10, 12 hours a day sometimes, and that I'd never be able to put my name on anything that I did. Like I didn't get to own anything that I really put out. None of it was, you know, it was always for another brand. It was really difficult for me. And I actually really, really struggled with motivation um, when I was working in that position. And so at the end of the three months, my uh, creative director comes to me and he's like, you know, you seem like a guy that really likes to talk a lot about <laughs> this kind of work, but I didn't actually see you do a whole lot of this kind of work. Um, so you know, we're not going to hire you, but I think you should. Ex- I think you should explore why that might be. Why you know? Why are you? Uh, why do you love talking about this stuff, but you don't really like to execute or do it too much? And so it was a very difficult conversation to have. But I walk out of the meeting, and then I kind of have this this feeling. Of freedom where I'm like, wow, I can do anything. Mm. If if this was the thing that I was supposed to be doing, this thing that I've been, you know, putting all of this energy into, 
and that didn't work out, what should I be doing instead? And so that was actually the first time that I started, you know, writing songs seriously, really taking vocal training seriously. I started playing at every coffee shop, club, uh, you know, a bar, a train station. I would play in the train stations every day um, because I was like, wow, if that's the worst that it could be is like I put all of this hard effort into something and it doesn't, I don't get any momentum. I don't get any traction. Then what's something that I really care about that I feel is like going to fuel me. And as soon as I made that switch, and I think that the people that probably listen to your podcast and follow your content, many of them probably have already felt this, but many of them I'm excited for them because they will feel this. When you do finally make that switch to that thing that you really are passionate about, the energy that comes with that is absolutely astounding. Now, keep in mind at this point, I'm still just playing. I'm singer-songwriter, Matt. I'm, I want to be recording albums. I want to be on tour. I want to be doing all of this stuff. But my voice sucked because literally I'd never, I'd never really worked on my singing at all. I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never... That was me too. My voice yeah, sucked early on. Exactly. And I think everybody does, right? And, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't talk about this, but like, you know, even the prodigies like the Michael Jacksons and, and stuff like that. I mean, Michael Jackson started singing at like five years old, you know, or maybe even younger. So we all have this period of sucking. I just entered that period of sucking a bit later in my life, a little bit further in my career timeline that I was that I felt really comfortable with. And because at the end of, you know, a one hour set or maybe a two hour set of playing in the train stations, my voice would be completely blown out. I wouldn't be Mm. able to get anything out of it. Done that too. So I started to ask around. And I'm like, hey, does anyone know of a vocal teacher that I could take some lessons with? Luckily, I met somebody uh, at, at my job as a waiter because I'd gone back to waiting tables to, to help me pay for you know, my, my life as a musician, which is very, very common. Um, and I started taking lessons with this guy and it was awesome. And it still wasn't enough to be like, oh, okay, you're going to be a vocal teacher, Matt. Like I was still years away from that realization. But I worked, uh, I moved to Austin, Texas, and then I started working with this fantastic voice teacher here in Austin. And after a couple of years of working with him, he looked at me, he gave me this exercise and he was like, Hey man, you just figured out why I gave you this exercise. Why don't you start teaching this stuff yourself? And I'm like, no way, man, I have no desire to be a teacher. I'm going to be, you know, on the road releasing albums, but something about what he said stuck with me. And so I decided to just start teaching friends for fun. And I found out that I absolutely love it. And I've kind of been just riding that horse ever since, just working as hard as I can to, uh, you know, to not only grow the audience of people that hear um, about, like, you know, that anybody can learn to sing, because I truly believe that, that anybody can learn to do it. If I learn to do it, and probably you, David, if you learn to do it, um, then anybody can. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, getting the right, the right feedback and working with the right singing techniques. And so it was really my goal to kind of just spread that message as, as far and as wide as I could. I have so much to add there. And the first thing is, you know, let me just say for someone who is trying to figure it out, your marketing these days sure looks very coordinated and organized. (laughs) Well, I've learned, I've learned a couple of things since, since then. That helps a lot, you know, and at Music Entrepreneur HQ, it seems like we're in perpetual content audit mode. And I'm sure it's the same for a lot of people, right? Your website is never finished. It's always an ongoing 
thing. It's a sculpture. You keep molding it into what you want it to look like and feel yeah. like. So I'm sure that's part of the process too. And and when you're just one person, you literally can't do all of those things yeah. all at the same time. Like I am, well, I say I'm one person. You know, I work with a really, really good team of people. I have someone that helps me edit my videos. I have someone that helps me design my thumbnails for my videos. Um, I have someone that helps me out with emails, et cetera. Like I have lots of, lots of help, but essentially like whenever there's a new initiative or a new kind of marketing drive or a new angle that I want to take, it's kind of on me to be the, the one that kind of, you know, actually writes that out and starts creating the content. So that's what I mean by a one man show in this case, I'm not a one man show, but when you're, when you're always in content creation mode, I can't always just uh, delegate that out to the people that I work with currently. And so a lot of the time, you mentioned the website, your website's never done. I have not worked on my website in, oh gosh, mm. wait too long because I've been so focused on getting the YouTube thing. Um, mm, right. And so I, th I think that there's going to be a point. And unfortunately, the answer is you've got to be working on everything. Yes. But what's, what's the biggest priority? So... I really didn't start focusing on YouTube too much until I felt like my my site was in a good place and you know I had enough, you know, lead magnets on my website and enough things that people wanted to to opt into. I suspected that. Yeah, I looked at things and went, "Hmm, does this guy have a team?" Yeah, pretty sure he does <laughs> <laughs> to carry out all the activity that that he's doing. I tend to do a lot. I am sort of a powerhouse in my own right. That said, I always have to take a break, you know, once a quarter or else I'm going to be completely useless for a while. And it's not worth going into burnout mode. That's Absolutely. I'm sure you can attest to as well. And what you said about teaching, like I really resonated with that because part of it is I was just born into a family where it seems to run in the blood. My, my dad is a teacher and a pastor, uh, and a professor. My mom taught at certain times. My un multiple uncles and aunts were teachers or lived out their life being teachers as their careers. So it's like automatically, I just had a love for sharing knowledge and discoveries. And that's how, really how I see myself now. It's like I'm an adventurer. I don't know everything and I don't claim to know everything. I just, I'm in constant discovery. And then I share that information with my audience. So, yeah. One of my one of my favorite marketers is Noah Kagan, who yes, he lives here in Austin, Texas. And um, one of the things that I love most about him is he he will occasionally put out videos or write blogs or whatever about like every all the experiments that he's currently trying to do something. He did this really good one on YouTube about how he was trying to grow his subscribership on YouTube. I mean, he gave away a free Tesla. Uh, if you subscribe to his channel, he mm -hmm. gave away uh, a ton of stuff. He did collaborations. He did all this stuff. And the funny thing is, is like almost none of that worked. Like really all that worked, um, I think that he found out, and I don't, don't quote me on this, is that basically organic growth is just like putting really good content together, making sure that people watch the whole thing, making sure that people share it and, you know, find it helpful. That's really all there is to it. Now with email marketing and stuff like that, yeah, you can do giveaways and stuff like that. And, and that will still work. But I think it's interesting that YouTube is like a little bit more 
it's kind of like more of an organic monster. Like all ye who yeah. enter must have really good stuff yeah. or else you're not going to make it. <laughs> People come to watch. That's the thing, right? So yeah. you have to deliver on something. And if it's not like super high quality, then it still has to be super well edited. Yes. And, and so there's certain compromises you can make, but there's just not too many anymore because people are substituting that time from Netflix or watching TV or similar activities, renting a video. And now they're just like, let's watch YouTube. So if you don't deliver to those sort of sensibilities, it's really hard. 100%. And even I like what uh, my angle several months ago was like, oh, I'm just going to put together like the most comprehensive, most helpful videos that I possibly can. And even those didn't really perform um, as well as some of my newer ones that kind of have, there's like a little bit more of a story element to it where mm, it's like, that sounds I'm, familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to me. Talk well, to me. About I, that. I, I know exactly what you mean. Like, and I, and you've probably heard marketers say the same thing that like you produce a piece of content expecting that this is going to be your, your big one. This is your de definitive viral piece of content. And yet, for whatever reason, that thing doesn't do well. Meanwhile, you have this little, let's say that's a 2000 word post over here. You have a 500 word post on YouTube. I guess, you know, you have a 10 minute video or a two minute video Yeah. and this two minute video over here, for whatever reason, they're like, oh, it was, it was quick. It was breezy. Lots of takeaways. Thank you. And you're like, yep, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's all about engagement with, with the YouTube stuff. It's like people have to watch you know, you really want to watch those like retention graphs and see, yeah. you know, when people are dropping out. And the the sad truth is like a lot of what I learned was when I would get too technical and I wouldn't, you know, talk about like, you know, what's the feeling of like breaking on a high note? Like I could be like, okay, so one exercise to help you not break on a high note is da 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 da. But man, we all hate it when you break on that high note, I mean, it feels terrible. Mm. It's super embarrassing. And then you definitely don't want to do that in front of your date or whatever. It, you kind of put <laughs> them, you put them into that story and they're like, Oh, I get it. And then you sneak in a tip and it's, it's a, it's a different, uh, it's a different animal altogether than, than just writing a good post, which I mean, yeah. I love writing. And I think, I think that I'm a pretty good writer. Yeah, man. Um, but actually crafting, you know, a video that brings people in and keeps them till the end, that is tough to do. And some, some videos just do it and some don't, you know? Undeniably. And, you know, we'll definitely have to talk more about YouTube during this episode. I want to give a shout out to Noah Kagan and the underdogs because I was watching very faithfully all of his live streams on, on Fridays. Oh until, yeah. yeah. His office hours. Yeah. And I got a bunch of shout outs from Noah. Always appreciate that. Once I got into my current leadership program and, and, June, I just haven't had the time because it's very intensive and there's call, two, three calls per day related to this program. And then you have to manage your regular, in my case, freelance workload along with my business workload. So yeah, it just doesn't happen in the capacity I need, but I'm, I am part of their Slack channel still that they haven't kicked me out. So that's, <laughs> that's great. And I've really appreciated what I've learned from, from Noah. I took his course as well. Uh, what was it? The, what is it? A uh, 1K month? That, that's it. That one? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's really, and it's all about minimum viable product, right? It's like creating something simple that people want to pay you for. It doesn't have to be completely related to your your core mission, but it's all about like find, being useful first and being able to just kind of like, you know, tap into what something, 
what is something that people are excited to pay you for? I think too yeah. often, even even in voice lessons, man, like even in the the music industry, I'll create some products sometimes that I think that people want, and then you put it out there, and it's like, oh man, I thought everybody wanted that. It, nobody wanted that, really, nobody. <laughs> and it's just one of those things of like, yeah, I, what I think is really cool about his course is like you have some definitive proof that this is something that people are are actually interested in. And yeah. then there's there's actually some water in that well. Yeah, the truth is we've had some spectacular failures with our launches in the last year or so. Yeah. Uh, and obviously there's always something to be learned from that. And it's just like, oh, we, we thought this formula would work. We tried it before, but you know, there's always variables. Like when I did a launch with a crowdfunding campaign, I had a partner working with me. And as mm -hmm. you know, one plus one does not equal two in a collaborative relationship. It's really exponential. You have double or triple or quadruple the ideas because you keep bouncing things off of each other. And then yeah. you're like, okay, here's our plan. Here's our backup plan. Here's what we're going to do if we don't get the donations. Here's what we're going to do if we don't get featured and all that kind of stuff. And then pretty soon you're like, oh, this is so doable. And like, I didn't have that. I have my team, but I didn't have a partner that was constantly with me going, here's what we could do. Here's what we could try. And, and yeah, maybe, there, maybe it was just like a hard product to understand and it was a mismatch. So that, yeah. that kind of stuff definitely happens. Yeah. And, and here's the beautiful thing. just to go back to Noah Kagan, just for one last second. Yeah. Here's a guy that like has made millions of dollars in, in very, very successful, you know, uh, online e-commerce spaces. And he had a really hard time figuring out YouTube. And I think he still is, to be yeah, honest. I yeah. think he's still learning. Um, and he's still like, we were just talking about like how he's like starting to make his thumbnails custom rather than just using like a stock photo of himself. He's actually like shooting like every thumbnail that goes out there to, to make it align better with the video. And so even somebody like that, who has like, you know, he's got a great podcast. He's got a great website. Okay. Okay. Dork. Um, he runs a, uh, AppSumo, you know, all this stuff. He even a really experienced entrepreneur and marketer can still have a hard time in an unfamiliar channel. And yeah. I think that that's something that like people that listen to your, to your content, they're going to know for sure. It's like, just because you're awesome in one thing does not necessarily mean you're going to be awesome in this other thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. He really went all in on YouTube, has been going all in on YouTube for, for months now. And obviously from the outside looking in, you're like, oh, he gets hundreds of thousands of views. That's pretty great. But you can always hear it in his voice on those live streams that he's he's not content with where where that's at. He's <laughs> like, there's so much more possible. There's so much more we can do. What videos, guys, what videos do you guys want to see? What could I create that would really be beneficial and helpful to you? And I would argue that he's already created a lot of that. But maybe it's just in the polish and in, in returning to the stories and going back to those topics when he has something new to say about them, that's probably ultimately going to be the difference maker. He could probably talk about the same topics he's talked about already, just in a new new way. Exactly. Exactly. And that's kind of what I've been finding too, is just to use an example of one of mine. Like I had this old video, I think it was like three exercises to expand your vocal range or something. Like really, you know, I think a very helpful video showed like really good exercises that people could use. And lots of people said that they found it helpful. Didn't do a whole lot. Um, and then I kind of repurposed the video around like, 
So I'm taking this voice lesson and my voice just keeps breaking. And it was a real story. It was like a real Hmm. lesson that I had with my teacher. And I was like, okay. And so he said to do this. And so I do this. But the problem with this is that it was, you know, it was helping me do this, but it wasn't actually getting me all the way there. So then he gave me this exercise. And so I went through the exact same three exercises, but because I'm talking about it in a kind of story uh, format, all of a sudden it just like started doing really well and people started clicking on it more. And I think it's just one of those weird things. You're talking to me at a very pivotal time in my marketing because Mm. I'm learning all this stuff about YouTube right now that it's just like, it's just so completely different. Like, I feel I felt pretty confident that I could like optimize a Google post like I could optimize a a blog post within probably a few months like that would be somewhere in the top 10 first results of Google. I felt like I had that down. But with YouTube, it's just like a completely different thing. Yes. (laughs) Because it's real people. You're not just trying to talk to a bunch of bots that are searching for keywords and terms. You're actually seeing whether people, actual people, click on this thing and watch it all the way through. It's very different. Yeah. I mean, of course, the title and description and all that stuff is still important. Yes. But you really first have to get that click. And you can see that people are working hard. You said that you have someone creating your thumbnails for you. That should tell you that like, you really got to have to work for that click and make sure you're grabbing people's attention. Oh, yeah. And we'll, I'll actually create probably two to three different versions of the mm. same thumbnail. Uh, to get wow. one that actually works. And so, yeah, that's still something I'm really, really struggling with. Um, so anybody that's uh, considering picking up YouTube, it's a tricky time, yeah. but it's only going to get trickier. So if, if you're convinced that YouTube is a, is a channel that you should be on, man, starting, starting now is so key. Make those mistakes now rather than waiting for everything to be perfect and for... Because the algorithm is just going to get harder, you know? Yeah. Well, you have some videos with millions of views, so you're obviously on the right track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But those are those were like two out of... So I've released I know. Two, it's 210 right? videos. Yeah. I've released 200 videos now, and two of them did well. So that's more like 99.1. <laughs> but you're you're right. To your, to your point, like if you're looking at like videos that I have over like 100,000 views, it's probably like 80-20 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, even on the Music Entrepreneur HQ channel, if you, you could definitely 80-20 it because between the various podcasts and reviews and talking head videos that, that we've done, there's probably three or 400 videos up there, but only one of them has 12,000 views. Yep. <laughs> so, yep. and, I, and I get that it's not necessarily the channel for podcast. There's a little bit of that behavior. Some people do like to listen to their podcasts on YouTube. So to that extent, we always look at it as, hey, extra views, right? That we didn't get through all these other channels we're on. So it's really great. But we know that to like really appeal to YouTube, I've started creating better thumbnails and stuff like that too. But it's it's not going to be the it's not going to be the silver bullet. I know that. Right, right, right. And what I think you're you're implying what's really strong is like having a diversification of content because yes. like everybody <laughs> wants to listen or or watch or read in in different ways. And so, you know, for instance, like me with podcasts, like I listen to podcasts when I'm driving places or when I'm falling asleep. Like that's kind of <laughs> that's just me being co- totally honest. And I've found some of my favorite pot and at the grocery store. Those are like my three favorite situations to listen to podcasts. But I also know people 
they'll listen to podcasts while they work all day. They'll listen yeah. to like eight hours of podcasts totally while they're working. Um, and so the type of content that's going to work for me when I'm just driving somewhere or going grocery shopping or falling asleep is might be different from somebody that's listening to eight hours of content today, you know? So it all, it takes all different kinds. And it's funny because you kind of answered my next question in a way, but that content diversification is a key piece. You know, you don't want to be single source dependent. I guess if I was to add something to that question, have you noticed any changes with like organic search? We've seen some big changes over the last three years with Music Entrepreneur HQ. That could be a lot of factors, such as the fact that I don't think Google loves affiliate links and we've got lots of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But. Um, You know just because I haven't had my my finger on the pulse of of my site's blogs in probably the last six months, mm. I'm probably not as qualified to answer that question. But I can also say like a lot of that, dude, I know you get this, mm -hmm. but I get like, I get pitched every single, like probably every day of like, hey, we'll do a, you know, a sponsored post on your website, it's you know, painful. for... It is, it's, you know, I get it. You know, people are trying to, they're doing the link building. They're doing, they're doing, they're doing the good stuff. But, um, I've always said no to those personally and ramseyvoice.com has always kind of sh shoot away from that kind of stuff. That's like more directly promotional just because, um, I know that a lot of those guys that are pitching me are not the writer that I am, where I feel like my guest posts can actually help people because mm -hmm. I have so much experience in this. Really like, I don't, I, yeah, I don't count on a mattress brand to, you know, <laughs> to, to write a really good article about how sleep is so important to singing. Like, why are they contacting me? <laughs> I don't know, but it's the same mattress brand. All They're like, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but new studies indicate, you know, that sleep is very important. To your and it's like, thank you. Thank you. For, but it's like, <laughs> Essay writing services. That's been a big one for us for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I can totally see that. And I have, truth be told, there's, uh, I was doing this uh, last year, um, was that I would take a video that I'd already shot on YouTube and I would send it to a copywriter friend of mine and I would have him transform it into a longer, uh, a written piece. And that mm. seemed to go well, but... Yeah. The issue with that is that you, nobody knows your market like you do. Nobody yeah. knows the way that your people speak yeah. as well as you do. So even somebody like, and he's really good. Like he's a really good guy and he knows music, but like there's still some different ways that I would talk about things, which is why I think it was probably more beneficial that I'd shot the video first. So he would kind of know the way that I talked, but yeah. Absolutely. So I would say, I guess what it's all boiling down to is authenticity. Yeah, It's like anytime one of my posts does better than another website that I know has a lot more money and a lot more resources than I do, like some of the main music, uh, uh, sheet music websites and stuff like mm. that, that have like, that literally have like, you know, probably 50 posts, you know, a month or something like that, or a quarter. The only reason why mine do better is because I think I'm actually coming from a place of like, I know how these people talk and I know how they think Yeah. rather than it's just some ghostwriter somewhere. We've definitely gone back and forth on the guest post sponsor post issue on, on the music entrepreneur HQ, but I, it really is, as you say, 
some people are a little more qualified than others. And sometimes you do get really high quality people approaching and you're like, yeah, I would like to publish that. Yeah. Uh, but the moment you kind of say, yes, it's a slippery slope of, well, we can charge a little bit here and charge a little bit there. And now you're, now you're being a content mill and a guest post mill. And you're like, wow, it's taking up a lot of time. Yeah. I don't know if people realize that they just casually are like, I want a guest post on your website. Well, I think it's completely wrong headed to even approach people that way in the first place. It's like, how can I add value to your audience? Exactly. Start there. And then exactly. we can start forming content that actually makes sense. Totally. Totally. Yeah. If you're not, if you're not contributing something valuable, then it's just not going to work. It's just not, you know, because even though obviously we've been talking a lot about YouTube and how like we're watching like when people drop off and stuff like that and keeping people engaged, there's something very similar uh, for Google posts. It's just they're they're monitoring how long people spend on a page, yeah. um, the time on site and, you know, how much people are scrolling and stuff like that. So, you know, if there's an inauthentic piece of content, no matter how well optimized it is, it's not going to do well. Um, just because it's not coming from, it's not, you're not talking to real people, you know? Key point. Yeah. But it sounds like your business is going well, regardless of whether you're in touch with how, how well the organic traffic is doing in this moment. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little nervous. I, I'm a little nervous. I think I need to go back and check my analytics again. Yeah. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's kind of funny when you have to, like what we're talking about is like shift focus. Cause you literally can't do everything. No. I was getting in I was getting into paid ads too and it was just like between paid ads and you know the site and YouTube and scripting and shooting and all that stuff it's like you've got to be really really careful and also teaching full time I don't know how I forgot to mention that right um that's yeah <laughs> that's I mean, that's my life too. Just like what I said, I do freelance work. I do work for my business. So yeah, you're, you're really just stacking things on a, what, what people would consider a normal nine to five schedule after a yeah. certain point. But also I think that we should acknowledge, or at least I'm going to acknowledge for sure is like, I mean, it's so cool that I get to wake up and do this every day. Like it's yeah. so freaking cool that I can take something that I'm passionate about and actually make it a business. And so, yes, while I do have limited bandwidth and yes, while I do occasionally flirt with burnout, it's still, you know, the fire is still there at the end yes. of the day um, because we're doing something that we really like. And, you know, for the people that are listening to this, I think that it's probably really easy sometimes to be like, oh, well, things are comfortable here. I have this good job. Like, I don't want to like rock the boat and I don't want to like put myself out there completely. But there may be a time one day when you are like, wow, that's it. I'm ready to I'm ready to pull the trigger on this. And that is a really, really special moment. And uh savor it because there's plenty of work to do afterwards as well. Yes, absolutely. And I, I wanted to call back to that regardless, because you brought up the thing about passion and alignment. And and I'm really returning to that concept after after several years because it's so easy to live out a life that someone else has planned for you, even if it's not your parents, even if it's not a teacher or coach or a mentor. You start listening to them because you're like, you're fascinated and you respect them and you you take their advice seriously. And then pretty soon though, it's like you, you start living out this life that's not yours. And then everything's an uphill battle because you don't get results. Everyone says publish weekly, publish daily, publish monthly or whatever. 
And if you just follow that blindly without sort of seeking alignment within yourself, chances are you're not going to see a lot of results. And that's exactly what's happened. And yeah. so like, I'm, I'm completely, I'm not completely reshaping, but I'm looking at it newly, right? Like what, what could I do differently? That's actually fun and enjoyable for me. There were a lot of things that people said early on, like, oh, you know, you, all you did was talk about in your outside the box post about how to make money in music. All you talked about was writing. And I'm like, huh. And it's so easy to take that criticism to seriously into heart and then to never bring up the subject again or rarely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without realizing that maybe you do have a unique perspective and approach and value to bring from that space as well. And, and that the enjoyment and the passion of it might carry you over the finish line. So totally. Yeah. Well, dude, I mean, everything's an uphill battle, right? Like, you know, much, <laughs> much love to the, to the custodial staff of, of my high school, but being a janitor is an uphill battle. Like right. I've been a, I've been a waiter being a waiter is an uphill battle. You might as well choose an uphill battle that you actually are passionate about and enjoy because there are going to be moments when you're going to feel really tired. And so actually, yeah. you know, selecting that thing that you are really passionate about and it can change over time too. I mean, there are lots of people that they start, you know, they start to my, Oh, wow. There's this, uh, you know, I've got this kind of sewed up. I'm really interested in this though. I'm going to start kind of merging over this way. And it happens all the time. Um, but yeah, choosing, choosing that uphill battle that you don't mind running up, uh, like Sisyphus or something like that is, uh, you know, that's pretty much the whole gig really is just dealing with those ups and downs until you succeed. Yeah. I really like how you articulated that because for a while there, you know, I was, I was doing the money Twitter thing and really getting into Twitter and scheduling posts all the time and creating a presence there and sharing the products and call to actions every day and eBooks and stuff like that, which wasn't really working for me. So yet again, it was someone else's path, not mine, but a lot of those that crowd, the prevalent attitude is, Hey, if, if you've been at it for six months and you're not seeing results, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and for me, that's just a facepalm moment because that's not what it looks like. It's like one small step today, one small step tomorrow. And you, you almost let go of the expectation of breakthrough breakthrough is possible, but it's not going to come from something you already know. And that's why yes. it doesn't show up every day. It has to be something outside of your purview or, or your radar. And, and you're not going to see that automatically or spontaneously. It often comes from someone else pointing to something and you going, Oh yeah. Yeah. And how, and how hard is that when you work super hard on something (laughs) and then it doesn't like break through in the way that you think it should, it does eventually, but it does, it never happens in the way that you expect. Like you were talking about those couple of videos that I have with over a million views and it's like, you know, I put those videos out and they didn't go like crazy immediately. Like, I think the oh, yeah. one of them that's really still uh, trending quite a bit right now is how to find your voice. And that one is, I think it's got like 1.5 million views or something. That one sat there for six months doing like nothing. And then it finally just started getting promoted like crazy. And so it's just one of those things that that whole idea of like, oh, as soon as you start doing this, it's all downhill. It's never like that. <laughs> no, I, and I've seen that almost universally with with most of my videos. I don't know if there's ever been one that really took off from day one. Anything that I've published has has gained some momentum over time as people started searching for for topics. And 
it's it's sort of fun to watch too because you're like oh they're interested in youtube's interested in this topic and or at least musicians are on on youtube are interested in this topic so you get to see some of that as well but like yeah we have hundreds and hundreds thousands probably of content experiments we can refer to now without having to reinvent the wheel every single time it's like ah here's a few few 80 20 topics that that have done better for us than others yeah, absolutely. Going going back to the well and being like, okay, this is what people are interested in. What's a what's a new way that I can talk about this? Because I think exactly one thing that you and I set off, Mike, at the very beginning was like, <laughs> yeah, the laws of of singing don't change all that much. You no, know, no. <laughs> maybe maybe our vocal cords are evolving slightly over time, but I mean, most for the, for the most part, you know, voice voice acoustics and you know, uh, singing and stuff like that. There's, there's not all that much that, that changes in terms of if we're just looking at the basic elements of singing, your vocal cords can open, they can close, they can stretch or they can thicken. That's pretty much it. All of the sounds that you hear from all of your favorite singers, that's pretty much all that's happening. It's one, some combination of those different things. Um, and so when you're looking at something like this, it's not about like, always finding a brand new topic to talk about. Oftentimes yeah. it's talking about how to talk about it in a new way um, yeah. or to have a new angle on something. It's really great. And I think Dan Kennedy would say too, that the laws of business don't really change all that much. Platforms may change. Yeah. But good business sense is not going to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do you, what do you like of his? I know he, mm. I know him through Rick Marshall, but I don't actually know. Um, no, sorry, Perry Marshall. Perry Marshall, wrote, right? Yeah, eighty yeah. twenty uh, sales and marketing. What do you? Uh, what have you read of Dan Kennedy's, or what do you know of him that you're like, oh, this guy's awesome? I I think like a lot of people who experience Dan Kennedy for the first time, like once you read one book, you are so hooked that you're like, I need all of them. And <laughs> I've been on that journey. I haven't gotten through all of them. I'm pretty sure I've gotten through over 10 of them though. Wow. And, and so the number one is like no BS business success in the new economy. That one is such a powerful mindset book, a better mindset book than Grant Cardone or Gary Vaynerchuk could ever write. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and, and, and really, really powerful stuff. And I like the Renegade Millionaire as well. Uh, and and that one was put together kind of in collaboration with with one of his students, Lee Miltier, mm-hmm. and, and she does a great job of pulling out like, okay, what does it look like to be not like everybody else, trying to pursue things the same way, or just because it's the way it was always done, but actually to begin to look at things differently because you can look at the wealth pyramid, and I don't remember the exact percentages, but it's like you can see that only one percent of the world is ultra rich. And then you can see that only 3% of the world is like well to do. And then only, you know, it starts going down the pyramid and you realize like, okay, so accurate thinking, which is a big concept that he stresses, accurate thinking is understanding all these concepts and principles and stats and numbers and doing something with it that is focused on results, not just on, because it's so easy to do fluff work. Yes. Entrepreneurs. And I'm sure you, you've been there too. Oh my God. Well, I mean, it's like, I, I don't know if this is exactly what he's talking about because I haven't read it. But, you know, when you're trying to talk to everybody, you're really talking to nobody. Yeah. Right. So, like, actually knowing that, oh, this is exactly who I'm trying to talk to. And it's totally fine to just be trying to talk to wealthy people or people that are, you know, for, for instance, a lot of people think that I work with like 
really, really professional singers, which I do. That's some of my clientele, but a lot of my clientele are very beginners. Um, and I love working with beginners because it's so easy to see their progress and stuff over time. But I think um, a lot of entrepreneurs are afraid of going after you know, something that seems kind of like unsexy like that. Like, oh, you're a vocal coach. Don't you want to just like, you know, coach, a, you know, whoever, uh, you know, X, Y, Z. So don't you want to just coach Ariana Grande or Rihanna or something like that? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that'd be great if I had that one client. But also, I really enjoy teaching these other people that come to a lesson every week. They practice. You get to see them progress over time. They're super thankful for you rather than I have no idea what those other two singers that I mentioned are like in person. But I would assume maybe if you work with a major celebrity, maybe they'll be like, they won't really practice that hard. Maybe I don't know. I'm just making it up. But let's just say, for instance, you know, you only get to see them once a week. You know, these other students, you might get to see them, you know, consistently over time. So that was a big moment for me was realizing, you know, whoever you're working with now might actually be a very good target for you. Mm. Um, looking at what you've, where you're already making your money, where you're already, where your market already is rather than always trying to make it somewhere else or like target like the Uber wealthy version or, you know, something like that. Maybe just like seeing where you're at and where you're already seeing results and then doubling that and then doubling that and then doubling that, you know, I think is a very powerful tool. Yeah. Something that, you know, if I would go to watch a new course that I would often groan or roll my eyes was let's talk about target audience or let's talk about <laughs> yeah. niche audience. And the big thing that kind of flipped things for me was finally getting to this idea of a dream customer. Who's the person that I can help and help get the best results? Not just anyone, who is someone specifically? And then, and then the idea started rolling, like based on demographic info, I already know, and psychographic data I already know. It was like, okay, so they're going to be 25 to 45. Mm -hmm. They're going to be male or female. They're going to be career-minded musicians. They're going to have tried a lot of things and not seen the results they were expecting because I've been there too. And that's where I, I, I'm known to produce results for people. They probably listened to a few podcasts. They've pro probably pretty well read as well. They've read a few books and they're interested in personal growth and development. So I can keep building on that character because I was that guy. I was yeah. there. I have had those struggles. And those are the people that I know I can produce the best results with. And that might be a very small percent of the population, but that's where that's where I'm going to see better results and that's where they're going to see better results. Yeah, but exactly. I mean, if, if the idea of kind of like you are the target, like if you can really, really speak their language, if you can really dial in to what they're talking about, then you can actually sometimes have a way more successful business. There's um, I'm reading this new book. Um, oh, gosh, I'm going to forget the name of it by Alex Hormozy, the he ran a, a chain of successful gyms, but now he's kind of more of a, a digital marketer guy. Mm. He's kind of in the Russell Brunson world, like yep. the, in that in that world. And I'm reading his book right now, uh, $100 million offers is what it's called. And uh, he talks about like the power of your niche of really kind of nailing in your target audience. He's like, okay, generic time management course. Okay, maybe you can charge <laughs> 20 bucks for that. Right. But if it's time management course for salespeople, you could probably charge $50 for that. Okay, time management for salespeople in construction. You can probably charge a couple hundred dollars for that because that's something really specific. And it's like, 
you know, time management for, you know, large industrials. Like he's just going further and further and further down. And before you know it, it's like the same principles, but because it's targeted so specifically, you're like, oh, wow, you can, you can make a lot more money that way because you're really talking. That guy's talking to me. He knows, he knows where I'm coming from rather than trying to speak to everybody. Yeah. That's a really big piece of it nowadays. Definitely. It's interesting. You know, I did some research and development earlier this year and and customer interviews and things like that. And I recognized that like maybe some of them weren't ultimately my customers, but it was just so interesting to hear the different perspectives from people in different genres, different pursuits. Some were composers, some were kind of experienced jazz artists. Some had had experience in, in rock and playing clubs and pubs and things like that. So, you know, within that, I definitely heard a lot of things and, and that's something that's just good to do. We can keep, keep up those conversations and, and listen to what's important. Otherwise you, you, you still end up coming in from this space of a conversation that's already happening in your mind, which may not be happening in their mind. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Cause I mean, like, even if you don't use that specific information in your targeting, then there's probably some crossover. There's probably some Venn diagrams of where that like older jazz musician and where that rock musician you were talking about, you know, even though they play different genres and it sounds like maybe they're in different parts of their life or their career or whatever, there's probably some crossover um, that those two musicians face some challenges that they're facing in their music career that you're like, Oh, okay. So if I say this thing, it's right in between those two diagrams and that's going to work for both of them. You know, a big thing I heard was licensing and placements. So I was mm-hmm. like, that better be part of the new online Academy that we've been building. If that's yeah. not in there, we're not serving that. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Uh, I hear that you have a need there. And, and I am interested in that topic too, because wouldn't it be great if we could all license and place our music and start earning a nice side income from that? That would be great. Yeah. yeah. One of the, one of the man, many passive streams of income, right? Absolutely. It can be lucrative, but you know, again, like with any pursuit, it's, it's usually uh, a small percentage of artists who are really raking it in. Sure. But there are people that are virtual unknowns that also make a great, great income from, from placements. And that's possible too. Well, it's the, it's the diversification, right? Just like we were yeah. talking about, like, you know, you should be using different channels and you should be, you know, really mastering them. I mean, you know, we all hear about like, you know, musicians getting paid like pennies for like a thousand plays or something like that. But, you know, so I'll use an example from my my own life. I'm not going to give real numbers here, but let me just say that like the revenue that I make off of my YouTube videos, like the revenue that I make from them showing ads is really just a pretty small percentage of like my overall business revenue. Um, But it is something and it does help me pay yeah. for like my video editor or it does help me pay for my thumbnail designs. And so it's like, you know, all that stuff can be used. And if I took that out, would I miss it really? I mean, maybe a bit, but it's also just a nice thing to have. It's like something that I'm, I'm getting anyway for putting out videos. Is it why I'm putting out videos? No, but it is a nice thing to have. Oh yeah. That mailbox money is juicy. Like I just got a check from Amazon for, for affiliate sales. Right. So yeah, having a little bit of that never hurt and a little bit of the secret sauce, I guess I'm giving it away, but there's some new blockchain powered social networks where if you publish your content, 
like your channel is automatically monetized from the day one. You didn't have to reach some kind of standard. You're rewarded ah. for doing little things like commenting or watching other people's videos. And so even if it is still dimes and dollars, you're probably going to get to that point faster with some of these new platforms than you are with YouTube, which isn't to yeah. say don't use YouTube, but those are worth exploring too. If you're, if you're like, I don't have a following, I'm starting from day one. What could I do to start making cents and dollars today? Oh That's God. Yeah. 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 I mean, like how many people thought TikTok was a joke until it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's not, I created an account the other day too. And I'm like, yeah. I don't, I don't know how much I'm going to be active on it, but I'm still like, okay, I see what's going on here and it's kind of going crazy right now. <laughs> Yeah. And here's here's my thing. Like I don't have a TikTok and I barely use Instagram and I barely use Facebook. I'm pretty much just my website, my newsletter, my YouTube. Those are pretty much my main channels. Um, and my thing is like, I don't want to actually move on to those other ones, not because they're not valuable and because there's probably like a lot of really good value to you know, starting some of those platforms when they're first starting. But honestly, I just can't get there until I feel like I've really mastered this other thing that's right in front of me. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that's a really difficult thing to do because we're all tempted to go for the shiny brand new thing and be like, Oh, it's, uh, what was that one audio platform? I think it was called clubhouse clubhouse. Yeah. That's yeah. been a big one lately. And I don't know if it's still doing really well because not, not as well. Ahead. Yeah, not as well. And and one of those reasons is because it was sort of exclusive invite only at first and now it's not. So so it's starting to have some problems. Yeah, I, I had a student that invited me to that when it like first, who knows how close it was to the original launch, but it was like a year, maybe a year and a half ago. Like when I feel like when I was kind of first starting and she was like, hey, if you want to join this thing, you know, you just get on and you just, you have your own show. And it was like, I would love to do, like, I would love to do that. But literally I did, as again, kind of one man show in terms of being able to branch into new types of content. Like I would have to be the one that's doing that. Yeah. And so I just, I just don't have the time. I would love to, but it's like, I've got to just focus on the thing that's right in front of me, get that really good. And then kind of like I did with the website, it was like, I got the website really good and that, that wheel's spinning. And now I'm going to focus on this other wheel that's kind of wobbling. And then that one's going to start to wobble and I have to go back to that one. So I think that that's, um, it's something that I'm honestly trying to figure out how to start scaling more because yeah. I think that there are more opportunities out there that I cannot pursue because, you know, time is limited in terms of what I'm able to do um, and trying to figure out where to go from there. Oh yeah. With Music Entrepreneur HQ, we're trying to boil it down to a few core things too. Definitely. I think basically the mindset has been, and, and this might be helpful for you too, is 80-20. So we spend 20% of our time exploring a lot of new channels. Doesn't mean we go all in on them. Doesn't mean we constantly pay attention to them. We just try things out and see if something sticks. Uh, one thing that that recently stuck, BitClout has its own publishing platform. I think it's pub pub clout or something like that uh, or clout pub maybe and and my first post got like 80 cents or something it might be collecting more so i was like huh 
really interesting. Like I, I haven't seen that re- same result on Steemit, which is a similar platform where you can earn money for sharing blog posts. So okay. maybe maybe there's something little something over here worth worth exploring, and that's what we're looking at. That's going to be better than Medium, which I still publish to you know almost weekly. It, it has become less of a focus after I published daily for a full year on Medium, and then I was like, yeah, we grew to fifteen hundred followers, and it's still not like massive dude those things those things are coming and going all the time like i remember when like most of my uh external traffic to my website was coming from pinterest oh yeah right so it was like pinterest was like a big thing like when i was kind of like posting on it and creating stuff for it for people and i was getting a lot of traffic from it and then it just like just died off completely and again i'm sure I have no idea whether Pinterest and Clubhouse and all these other, you know, social media channels that we're mentioning are like whether they're doing well or whether they're in their decline, who knows. The point is is that like you just have to keep working at the things that you're seeing results from when you're seeing results from it. But also I would say that out of all of the social media that we've mentioned so far, I don't think Google's going anywhere and I don't think YouTube's going anywhere and I don't think Facebook's going anywhere or Instagram's going anywhere. I mean, I could eat my words, you know, this is a very volatile industry, but that's kind of like where my head's at is like, if I'm going to put all of this effort into something, it, I want it to be able to stick around for a while. Absolutely. I do agree with you. I think there's going to be some consequences for sort of the big tech, like, becoming a, a publisher rather than a social network, which which should in theory allow for free speech. Now there's censorship. So clearly you are a publisher now and there's going to be some consequences for that for, for big tech. But in general, just because they go through a few lawsuits doesn't mean they're going to lose any, a whole lot yeah. of traction or power. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I guess for the people that are listening to this, it's it's important to try like like you're saying it's kind of like an 80/20 of like I'm going to spend 80% of my effort and time focusing on the things that I think are probably the yes. the sure bets the ones and then that maybe work. maybe 20% you know experimenting with new initiatives and like looking at the new social media channel or whatever hot whatever's hot right now and sometimes those 20% experiments really pay off you're like man I'm so glad I did that maybe that I can roll that 20 into the 80% and then start looking at other stuff now, you know? I think that's where I really got to ultimately with publishing daily. I realized how valuable and amazing it was, even if it didn't like solve all my business problems. That's kind of what Russell Brunson's promise was Mm. (laughs) that publishing daily would solve all your business. It didn't, he said for a full year and I did it. And, And no, it didn't solve all my business problems, but I don't look back on it regretting that I tried that for a full year. And in fact, I was like, am I going to continue? No. And then I continued anyway. <laughs> it's like, I still publish daily because yeah. it became this habit that allows me to, to further projects now. It's like a lot of what I publish daily, I, again, it's a little bit of a secret sauce, but like is going to become a book or it's going to become mm-hmm. an ebook or it's going to yeah. become another resource now. So I'm not, I'm not just like publishing for publishing sake or for traffic sake, even though that's part of it. It's like, let's bring people to the site and help them see the value in what we've created. A big yeah. part of it now is like, Hey, we can amalgamate all this, edit it, make it super great and then publish it as a book or something people value. It's, it's fun actually to get to that point in your, in your business as a content creator where you're yeah. like, Oh, this is kind of like that thing that I did a while ago, but that didn't go anywhere. So 
oh, why don't I just take this thing and make that into one of the, like, it, I was coming up with new ideas for videos. I was like, wait a second, did I write an email that was kind of like a similar story? Oh yeah, that email's right there. There it is right. in my Google Drive. Just pull that out, put it on camera. And, and you know, it's just being able to repurpose stuff is really, really fun. And it doesn't always work, but um, when you can make it work, you feel like, yeah, it was all worth it, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think I watched like a, a Thrive Cart case study a while back because uh-huh. at the time Thrive Cart was like the best thing since sliced bread for <laughs> for creating funnels and, and setting yeah. up all, all your sales. And I use a different solution now, 10X Pro, but at the time it was sort of cool. And and so the creator was basically, or the, the person who wrote the post was basically saying, this product never sold before. And then we just started including it as an order bump in, in this other product. And suddenly everyone started taking it. And I'm like... Wow. So you just never know. Sometimes you, you change know. the title. Sometimes you change the cover. Sometimes it usually it is in the framing of it. Sometimes you just add a piece of copy that that makes people go, huh? Oh yeah, I should grab this. Yeah. Sometimes just in the way that it's sold. Exactly. Like you're talking about, like just adding it as an order bump rather than a standalone thing that like, you know, not everything has to be the like some the, the order bump that you're talking about. It's like in case you guys don't know what that is. It's like that little checkbox when you're checking out and it just like adds it to your order. It's like the stick of gum that you pick up at the, at the grocery checkout, you know? And it's like, yeah. rather than writing it, I could have written like a five part email series that <laughs> pointed to that landing page. And it was like, Oh, well, why don't I just add a little text box here that just lets people add that to their card. And there it is. You know? Yeah. And that's, what's crazy about it. And in all this conversation about publishing, I think it's worth sharing. And I think you would agree that if you really want to get business results, then you have to do keyword research. <laughs> it's more important than, than it's ever been. And some of my publishing is not about let's target a keyword. Like I said, it's like, we're going to compile this into a book later. So it's not all about the keywords. If we were focused on that, then we would use tools like, uh, hrefs or surfer seo or things like that to really create something that is actually going to get traffic and rank in google and all that or moz yeah yeah moz is great yeah any of those any of those keyword research tools can be really really helpful and again that's the 80 percent you know those are like those are the things that have proven out that like this is something that's really good and then the other 20 percent you know could just be like oh you know people really seem to be talking a lot about this right now Maybe I should write something about this and just see how it goes. You know, definitely, definitely, great idea. I, I noticed we're coming up on an hour, so I got a couple more questions. Our our conversation took us in a, in a variety of directions, and I really enjoyed it. And I think it, it it got it was even better than what I had planned for. So thank you. That's awesome. Absolutely. Th- yeah, but I think just a couple more things that I wanted to touch on. First is sort of the the email list, right? And I think I still think it's critical. I still think it's super important. We should all strive to build our email list. But with so many more opportunities now with push notifications and SMS texts and messenger subscribers, are you noticing like is is your email your main thing or are you noticing that there's sort of these new channels that can also be quite effective? There are the new channels, but honestly, the just kind of the classic email still tends to be working the best for me. Um, I've, I yeah. flirted with with some of the SMS <laughs> notifications and stuff like that. And I mean, it's fine. But also, I think that it's kind of like trying to sell directly on Facebook. That's not exactly what people are going to Facebook for. You know, like yes. if I pick up my phone and I get an SMS text message from like, oh, there's a new sale, da, 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 da. 
like I'm picking up my phone because I need to do something or make a note of something or text somebody. And here's this thing that's in my face. When I go to check my email, I probably have a little bit more of a, oh, let's see what's going on. You know, let's uh, let me get some business tasks done. But I also know that it can just sit there. That email can just sit there and I can look at what they're offering for later versus when it's on my phone, it's like, get this notification out of my way so that I can go and right. do the, the yeah. other things that I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I flirted with it, but still email is king for me. I hear that. And I actually tend, personally, I tend to turn off a lot of notifications, especially yeah. if they get annoying, only the ones that, that really matter. And then the other thing is, you know, we all learn from different marketers and you've certainly shared a few people that you you're following. Is there anything right now that's like really firing you up? I mean, just YouTube, man, just like, mm, like anything just, you can find on YouTube. Wow. Pretty much. I mean, it's not, it's not one of those things where you want to post every day, right? It's one of those things where you want to make sure that you're posting the right thing that's connecting with people in the right way. So, and unlike a blog post, you can't just go back and change a line or two of it because no. it's it's a video. It's like, it's done. You can cut some stuff out. They have some cool editing tools for that. Descript um, and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I would say that, I mean, it's, it's an interesting channel for me because it rewards trying to get stuff right. Yeah. Uh, pretty much right from the get-go. Well, thanks for your time and generosity, Matt. And do you have anything to say in closing? Dude, it's, it's so fun to see you again. And I love yeah. talking about this stuff. So me the too. only thing I would say is like, you know, just for the people that are listening to this, um, you can do it. Just pick the thing and be the one that does it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's lots of takeaways here for anyone that's marketing their music or business out there. So thanks for joining us. Thank you, David. So if you're ready to crank your amps up to 11 and embark upon your Budokan journey, the 2022 edition of the Music Entrepreneur Code is ready for pre-order on Amazon. Of course, I'm groovy enough to have set up a short link for you. You can go to musicentrepreneurhq.com slash code 2022. That's the numbers 2022 to pre-order your Kindle. The Kindle launches on December 15th and paperback and hardcover versions will be soon to follow. Excellent Christmas gifts. This has been episode 256 of the New Music Industry Podcast. I'm David Andrew Weep, and I look forward to seeing you on the stages of the world. Thank you for listening. Music in this episode was brought to you by Brian Young. Wherever you're listening to this right now, please consider leaving a five-star review and comment to help us get the word out about the podcast. Thank you.